0: Good morning. As Doug was saying that uh, humidity helped him feel the presence of the Lord, what the humidity does to me is it makes me sweat, and then I will glow. And so as you see me sweat, as you see me glow, let that just remind you of the glory of the Lord, all right? So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your goodness, and I thank you that you deeply, deeply love us, It is my hope and my prayer that today, as we open your Word, that you would have your way in us, that you would transform us, that you would make us more like Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the gift that your Word is to us, and we just pray that your Spirit would be our teacher now, and that your Spirit would lead each of us to conclusions of things that you want us to do, things you want us to be, in areas that you may want us to change. So we give this time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, if you look up on the overhead, you can see that today we're gonna talk about the role of God's Word in our spiritual growth, or how God grows us spiritually. And for me as a kid, and even as an adult, I love to grow things. When I was a kid, I would grow radishes, and lettuce, and carrots, and squash, but my favorite was the pumpkin, because pumpkins grow to be big and then they turn orange. and You can do something with them when you're done. You can throw them off buildings, you can build jack-o'-lanterns. But I love growing things. And so today's message is about how we actually grow. And so there's certain things that for me as a kid that I had to do. I had to get out there and I had to till the soil, right? And then I had to add manure. Hopefully today we'll have no manure in our message but it would have to add manure to the soil, right? And then I would pat it out into to rows or make mounds, and then I'd plant the seed. And then I'd have to go and I'd water it. And then I'd have to wait. And I'd have to wait. And it seemed like forever, especially as a kid, and then finally, the soil would crack, and I'd see this little green shoot start to come out. And I was, it was like Christmas and I was so excited because I knew what waited for me at the very end was gonna be this big pumpkin, right? And so then as time would go on, I would just wait and eventually the pumpkins would come. So we happened to have a little play. We we used to live on the 12th floor and there was a little corner where we had some soil. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna relive my childhood and I'm gonna plant pumpkins. And so, I i mean, it was. It's just like being a kid all over again. And so, he grew, and the vines grew, and the, but they're growing on cement now. And, you know, I'd go out there, and finally, at the end of the growing season, I had the harvest. Three pumpkins. The biggest one was this big. <laughs> My kids just looked at it, and they scoffed me. But it was the joy of going out and just seeing things grow. And that really is what motivates my heart. I think that's what motivates God's heart is he wants to grow us into the image of Christ. And so today we want to look very clearly at how do we grow as Christians? Or how does God grow us as Christians? And so if you would, turn with me to the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy. Or I don't know what you say on your thing if you're... Find your deal on your eye, your whatever it's called. I'm sorry, I'm totally out of it. My kids scoff me on that too, so there's a lot you can scoff me on. But I'd like us to read this together. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God might be equipped, I'm sorry, adequate equipped for every good work. And so where we're gonna go today is we're first going to simply try to understand what does this verse, what do these verses actually mean? And then what we're gonna do is we're going to say, okay, now that we understand what this means, what does that look like in each one of our own lives? And so we're gonna look at, we're gonna do it for children, so you children don't fall asleep out there, I will be calling because my water will be We'll be asking you to listen very carefully because we'll have a special little message for you. And then we're gonna look at the teens and then we're gonna look at women and then we're gonna look at men and how this all works itself out. So by way of background, Timothy was Paul's protege. And this is directed towards Timothy, thank you. Sorry, I'm already making a mess. And uh, in Timothy's, in Paul, this is his last letter, he wants to encourage Timothy and tell him, hey, I know you're not feeling super secure. And I know you know I'm about to go. And I know you know that this ministry is now going to be entrusted to you. But what I also want you to know is that right now, God has fully made you adequate, equipped to do the very thing I've called you to do. So take courage. And that is the background for, uh, for these verses, is he's trying to encourage Timothy that he has all that he needs in the Word of God to carry out the very thing that God's called him to do, that God has grown him sufficiently through his word and through his applying the word of God to his life. And so what I want us to do now is take just a little closer look at these verses. Okay, and so we're gonna begin with Scripture. And we wanna ask ourselves, what is Scripture? And Scripture is speaking of the word of God, right? And so it's it's saying that scripture, or in this case, the Word of God, is the thing that we all need in order to grow. You must have the Word of God, we must master the Word of God, we must be mastered by the Word of God in order for us to grow. And so the scripture itself is something that was written, it's something that was collected, and for Timothy then, it was referring to the Old Testament and so Timothy had the Old Testament available to, to help him to carry out the mission that God had given him. We now have both the Old and the New Testament to carry out the things that God wants for us to do. But very clearly, Scripture is, what we're talking about here is simply our Bibles. Then it says that all Scripture, okay, not just part of Scripture, but all of Scripture, that means from Genesis through Revelation, that means that every book, every Passage, every verse, every word, every jot or tittle, all are from God. Thank you, Doug. And so, all of scripture has been given to us by God as a gift. And so now we wanna look at two aspects of what scripture is, or its nature. And the first is that it's inspired which literally means it's God breathed. That God breathed out and we got the scriptures. That its source is from God. And so if you'll keep your finger in 2 Timothy 3 and turn with me to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 2 or 1, you'll see that in verses 20 and 21 it says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made as an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit of God. And so when we think of this idea of inspiration, it's helping us understand that the source of the word is God himself, used by man, but completely what he wanted us to have. And you can think of it, actually, a good way for me to to say how, how did we get a perfect word through a sinful man? Well, how did we get a perfect savior through a sinful woman, Mary? It's the exact same process. It was the Spirit of God superintending the process and giving us a supernatural perfect word. And so the first thing we see about what the Scripture is, its nature, is that it's inspired, that it's from God. The second thing we see is that it's profitable. And the idea of profitable is that it will accomplish that thing for which it is intended to do, that it has benefit that it will benefit those who then understand it, who apply it, who live by it. And so, having looked at the nature of Scripture, that it's both inspired and profitable, we now wanna turn to how it actually works. And so, when we look at how the Scriptures work, we're looking at its role in the life of a believer. And so, we can say that it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof it's profitable for correction, it's profitable for training. That's its role in the life of the believer, that's its role in the life of Timothy. As Timothy was gonna have to combat false teaching, he was gonna need to hold on to these things strongly. If we're gonna walk in our culture today and we're gonna be able to have any sense of victory and see Jesus proclaimed and see him make inroads, we need to be taught, we need to be reproved, corrected and trained. And so teaching, you can just think of teaching is, is the way we should go, okay? And that reproof, so if we're thinking like this, well, we'll just stay up here. If we're thinking, teaching tells me you wanna go this direction, this is where you want to go, this is how you will be successful in life. Now success in life is defined by God, not by us. And so you need to walk this direction. So as I'm walking with Jesus, right? As I'm relying on him, as I'm relying on his spirit, as I'm relying on his word, What happens? I get distracted, I get off course, right? I begin to think, well, you know, I've got all these concerns and all these cares, and they start pulling me away from who Jesus is and what he wants me to do. And then, but remember, the Scriptures are profitable for reproof, and then I'm reproved. Reproof means that I am told that I'm moving in a wrong direction, right? And so then I'm off. But then the Scriptures go on, and then it corrects me, and it says, hey, you need to get back on the road to where God wanted you originally. And so I find I'm then corrected and I move and as this process goes on I am then trained because it's profitable for training which is an ongoing process. And so that is what we're gonna look at today is that whole loop, okay, step by step. So finally then it says, so we've looked at what scripture Uh, is, we've looked at how it works, and now we wanna look at what it does. And that scripture makes us adequate. Okay, it makes us adequate, it matures us, it grows us, it makes us uh, able to do the very things that God created us to do, to live in the world that he created in a way that's pleasing to him and that will have an impact. And so it makes, the word of God will make us adequate. And then the second thing is that it equips us, that it equips us to how to live and how to function in this world to be a person who has been taught and then reproved and corrected and then trained. All those things go into equipping us so we can live in the world in a way that's pleasing uh, to God. And so the question is, though, is how does scripture actually grow us? And so what we want to do is we want to start, start focusing on both the training and the teaching side of things, okay? So when we think of teaching, we think of doctrine, okay? And that's how the doctrine, you know, it's a theological word, but the, the real word for us is when we think of teaching, we want to say, how does the world work and how should we then live in this world based on what it, the way it is, Okay, and so again, we need to have God's perspective. And so as we do that, the Word, the Scripture, should then inform us or shape our thinking, our worldview, how we think, how we approach the world. And so that's an event. What we're doing right now is teaching, right? You will leave here and the teaching is done. But then the next part is the training. So the teaching is saying, okay, you need to go this way. The world may be calling you this way, but God is calling us this way, so walk this way. So the teaching is simply it's there and then you walk out of here and hopefully the spirit continues to use that and then it begins a a training process. And the training is how to live rightly in this world, how to live rightly in light of who God is and what he's doing. It's how to live out what it is that God is doing. And it's based on repetition. Teaching is a one-time deal. It can take minutes or hours, but the training is an ongoing lifetime process. And so again, if you look at this, what I'm trying to communicate with the green lines is that we're on a road, okay? And in that road, we get taught. And as long as we stay on that road, we are going to get to the destination. And the destination is ultimately to give God glory. But for us, it's to make us more and more like Jesus. So we think like Jesus. So we act like Jesus. So we see the world like Jesus. And so, as long as I'm getting the input, the teaching, and then if I'm carrying it out and being trained, God will grow me. I can't grow myself. You cannot grow yourself. It's a byproduct of simply staying on the road. Okay? And so the the road then is the path that God wants us to be on as we live in this world. If you think about Adam and Eve, they were in the garden and they lived in perfect loving obedience to the Father, right? They were. That was the teaching. God would tell them, hey, here's your world, this is how you need to live in it, therefore do it. And so that was the teaching. Then they would carry it out. But then there became a problem. And so that's what we wanna look next, is there's a problem. And we wanna ask ourselves, what is the problem? Do we like to walk this road? Hello? No, why not? Yeah, we have a sin nature, but the reality is we love sin. We actually love sin. We like being the boss. Okay, we've talked about the chair, and we'll talk about that again, but the chair is the control center. Who is in control of your life? Is it gonna be God, or is it gonna be us? If it's us, then we are taking the throne. We're taking the chair, and we're saying, I am the boss, right? And as soon as we do that, we forfeit the ability to grow. We cannot grow. Our children cannot grow. Those at our workplace cannot grow. And so the reality is, we have to get off the chair and allow God to be on the chair. So we'll leave that here. And so let's look more closely at the problem. We get off track. And we get off track because we love our sin. And so the question now is how do we get back on track, right? Because we want to be on this road. This road is where we grow. This road is where we are adequate and equipped to accomplish the things that God has for us. So the question then is, how do we get back on track? Well, let's turn back to 2 Timothy 3, and we're gonna look at two more words. We're gonna look at the idea of reproof and correction. And reproof, it simply reveals that there's an error, okay? That somehow, as we're on this road, we've gotten off the road. And we're now here, right? And so it reproves us. It tells us you are off the track. You are in error. It's the yellow card that gets placed in front of the soccer player who does something illegal, right? The Hong Pai or the Huang Pai, okay? The yellow card, yes, the Huang Pai, okay? And then it's there. Now the question then becomes okay, what am I gonna do? Am I going to listen to this reproof? Right? Or am I going to continue on doing what I wanna do? Am I gonna continue standing on the chair? And so that's where the next part comes in. If we choose to be corrected, okay, corrected gets us back on this path. And to, the idea of corrected there means it, to make straight, to do what you originally created to do, it restores us back to where we were to be. And so that's the idea of correction. Now, with that said, there's still another issue, and that's the issue of choice. And this is where real growth happens, is if you look at when we get off track and we've been reproved, we have a choice. And either we can choose to be corrected and get back on track, right? Or we can choose to sin, to continue to stand on the chair and say, I know better than you. God, I know better than you do, I know better than my parents, I know better than whoever, and stay on the chair. And if that happens, the whole growth process stops. And so this, to me, is where growth happens. Either we will choose to be corrected, and therefore God will grow us, or we will stand in defiance, and we will continue in sin. But if we choose the sin direction, there is a consequence, and that's death. And so that can be death of our conscience, that can be death of relationships, that can be death in any number of areas, but part of us will die. And so really at the heart of what this is after is the chair is the choice. Will, when we're reproved and we've gotten off track and reproved, will we be corrected? If we're defiant, we say nope, I want no part of it. If we're humble, then we'll be corrected. And that process then trains us in righteousness. So looking at the whole process, you can see that it's either gonna follow the yellow ones and grow. Again, it's not something you do, it's something that happens. Or you're going to go down the red path and you will die. A part of you will die. Your relationships will die. Your conscience will die. Something in you will begin to die. Then if you look at our journey in general, there's a long journey that we're all on. And God is committed to make us more and more like Christ. And so if you look at the diagram here, we're constantly getting off track, right? And that God graciously brings people into our lives to either get us back on track, or he himself does it, or he brings hardship. He'll bring something into our life to get us back on track. So now I want, what I want us to do with that in mind is I want us to look at this on a more personal level. And so we're gonna address the kids first. All right, so children, I need you to actually focus up here, okay? So if you've been drawing, stop your drawing. And this is the way it works. You're at home, your room is a disaster, right? Because you have been playing, and that's what happens when you play. Your room gets to be a disaster, and then your parents come in, right? (gasps) Oh my gosh, what happened to this room? It's a disaster. Clean up your room. Have you ever heard that? ever? Of course, we've all heard that, right? And so, your parent then leaves. And what do you do? (laughs) You keep playing. So you keep playing, you keep playing. Then you hear the shout, hey, how's the room going? Oh, fine, dad, fine, no problems at all, almost there. Oops. Now, not only is the room still not clean, but you haven't been working on it, but what have you also done? You've lied. So we're getting in deeper trouble. We are no longer on this road. We are down here, standing here. Everything's fine, right? But then what happens? Your parent comes in, right? They say, hey, I thought you told me the room was clean or almost clean. Well, not really. And then what happens? For some, you'll cry. Right, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that, right? Others would get angry, oh, you didn't give me enough time, I didn't understand what you said, (laughs) right? But at some point, that child has to make a choice, right? Because they know that in, in Exodus it says, honor and obey your parents, right? And so either they're gonna stay on the chair and be angry at the parent, or they're gonna get off the chair, they're gonna be corrected by the parent, and they're actually going to grow in likeness, And that's the way it works. So, the next time you're cleaning your room and your parent says, clean your room, what do you do? You clean it. Because you're being trained to live righteously. Because that's what God has <laughs> equipped you to do. Okay, so that's for the children. Teens one of the issues that teens deal with is their identity, right? And very for, often for teens, their identity is in tied into, do we have any teens in here? There we okay, go, a teen section, okay, we'll talk this way then. Your identity is, in, is tied into what your, par- or what your peers think about you. Right? So you gotta wear the right kind of clothes. You gotta say the same kind of things. And that is how a person, a teen, that begins to feel more and more accepted. But the problem is, there's peer pressure that comes with that, right? And there are times that they wanna bend, there's people that are gonna wanna bend you in a direction, right, off the path. Oh, don't be such a Boy Scout, don't be such a Christian, right? Hey, let's go, we're gonna go have a party. Party, well, what does that mean? What's at the party? Oh, just come, it's gonna be a great time. Well, I gotta ask my parents, oh, don't ask my parents, what, come on. You're old enough to make these kind of decisions, right? And so then you say, okay, 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 but you know you're supposed to have asked your parents first, right? So maybe you do tell your parents, hey, I'm going out, I'll be back later, okay? Where are you going? You're already gone, right? Because you did not want to answer that question. Well, you're here, right? And so then you go to the party, and the party they're saying, hey, we got some beer. Oh, I'm not old enough to drink beer. They maybe have some cigarettes, I don't know what they're doing at the party, but they've got things that you know that you shouldn't be involved in, simply because they're not the things that God would have for you as best. But you will have to make a decision, what are you going to do? And when you get home, what are you gonna tell your parents? Are you going to lie? Are you gonna lie? I'm looking right at you. (laughs) Of course not. Right, but really, it boils down to the chair. Who's in control? Are you in control, or is Jesus in control? And so I'm not sorry. I picked on you. Please forgive me. <laughs> Make that public since I publicly humiliated you. I need to publicly ask for forgiveness. Okay, but that's how peer pressure begins to work itself out. And so what we need to say is, wait a minute. I don't need to bend to what these what my peers are saying. God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made it in His image. Man and woman has been made in his image, right? He has created me for a purpose. He loves me. He loves me so much that he was willing to give his, good thing is I'm loud. He loves me so much. Thank you, Steve. He, He loves me so much that he was willing to send his son to die for me. That's how much he loves you. And so when you realize that your motivation then is to say, oh my gosh, God, I want to be who you've created me to be. I don't need to yield to peer pressure. And so I'm going to go this way. I'm gonna be honest with the parents. Hey, I've been invited to a party. Do you trust me enough to go to this party and not do the things that are inappropriate and to be a light for Jesus? Hey, if my child comes like that and I know my child and I trust my child, absolutely go. Be salt, Be light. Don't be influenced. Be the influence. You get the difference? Don't be negatively influenced, but be the influence. You set the influence in that place. Okay, women. We have one for college students, but I'm gonna skip that one because time is, is limited. Okay, in terms of women, oh, do have, how many college students do we have? All right, I'll talk to you afterwards. <laughs> Okay, for women, the issue of contentment, right? Paul says that we should be content in all things. But are you content in your marriage? Are you content with the home you have? Are you content with the clothes you have? Are you content with your station in life, with your children or no children, or single, or married? Are you truly content? If you can be content, and if you are content, you are moving in this direction, right, towards what God wants, which is growth and greater maturity and greater usefulness for him. For those who aren't content, though, right, it begins to spill out. And so for some, they may begin to turn to other things, to satisfy this this lack of contentment in their heart. And so they may eat more or they may spend more, okay? Or they may criticize their children more. But somehow, this lack of contentment moves them off of the path of righteousness and down here where they're standing on the chair. And so then at that point, they need somebody who will speak into their life and say, you know what? It seems to me that you're seeking your contentment outside of Jesus. And if that is the case, you will continue to have these problems. But if you can refocus and find your contentment in Christ and actually thank him for living in Beijing, for those who, this is a cultural leap. Sorry, I'm probably losing this again. For, the, for, uh, for many of us who don't, aren't Chinese and having grown up in China, living in Beijing is a challenge, right? And so for the women, can you be content with this challenge? Can you give God thanks for living in Beijing? Can you give God thanks for your children? Can you give God thanks for your housing situation? Can you give God thanks for all these things? Because that is how you will begin to get back on this track, moving towards being adequate and equipped for every good work that he has for you to grow. And then finally, I wanna... Uh, turn our attention to the men. Okay, for men, whether you are a businessman or a professional, whether you're a full-time Christian worker, we have all those in here, there are things that happen. There's a, we share a common bond, and the bond, I believe, is this. That we have a work or ministry life, and then we have a home life. And on the work and ministry life, we feel really significant, okay? We're accomplishing something good, something great. We have a clear mission. We often have a mission statement, right? And we're pursuing and carrying out that mission statement. We're very productive at work. We're fruitful, we know what we're doing. We're experts in that area. And finally, we're appreciated. People know us. And they say, oh, you're so awesome. You do such a great job, right? And then you go home and things change. You went from being this very important person who knows all this stuff and you walk in your home and it's mundane. It's like, oh my gosh, the same, same thing is going on day in and day out. Same arguments, same issues. You walk in there and you don't have a clear mission. What in the world is my mission at home? When I walk into the office, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I walk in that front door and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have a mission statement. I don't know what to do in this place. I'm at a loss. You're frustrated at times, why? Because at work you're super productive, but at home all you got is this honey-do list. You know what a honey-do list is? A honey-do means that your honey, your wife, has all these things for you to do. And for some, they write it on a nice whiteboard, right? And then you just look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty. First of all, I can't repair a thing, so how am I supposed to do any of these? Right? Can you pick up a phone, call somebody, huh? But we have this list and so we just feel crushed by it and we're frustrated. And then finally, we're underappreciated, right? If you got little kids, they're not coming up and saying, Dad, you're the greatest. You know, I, I just love the fact that when I was sitting on that toilet and you wiped my bottom, you are the best bottom wiper I have ever, ever met. You are awesome. Grace, am I the best bottom wiper you have ever met? <laughs> of course, she always says that. No, what I hear is, dad, dad. And I know exactly what that means. It's my, son being summoned to the bathroom <laughs> for something I didn't do, okay? For a discussion and a conversation I really don't want to have, okay? But the reality is that both, The ministry life and our work life are equally important. Right? Because Paul says whether you eat or whether you drink, what, do all for the glory of God. There is nothing more mundane than eating and drinking. And so God is after our hearts, men, that we find fulfillment in our homes. And so if you find it too mundane, and what you need to do is simply think about how you're gonna grow your kids. Have a plan for your children. What is your contribution to them? Well, we know that the Word of God is the thing that's gonna grow them. So how are you helping them to become mastered by the Word of God, to come in love with Jesus? That'll change a mundane life into one that's a little bit more exciting. If you don't have a mission statement at home, make one. Come up with a mission statement. This is what our family is about, so that your, your children know what your family's about. If you're frustrated because you have this long honey-do list, do it. And if you're not gonna do it, find somebody else to do it. But get it done. Because that's how you express love to your wife. And then finally, if you're feeling underappreciated because you wiped the same number of bottoms for so many years, praise God. Be humble. God is teaching us humility Through every day. that's our lesson in humility that keeps us saying god i need to be dependent upon you this is the direction my work is important but my home is equally important and i am not going to simply give myself to work because that's where i get all the kudos and all the strokes but i'm going to give myself equally to my wife and to my children because all of that is under the umbrella of the kingdom of god and what god is doing so those are just some practical ways that we can grow. But just remember, God gives us teaching, it moves us on this path towards being close, being connected with God. But because of our own self-interest, we get off of that, right? But God in his grace reproves us, and he says you need to get off the chair. Children, get off the chair. Teens, get off the chair. Women, off the chair. Men, get off the chair. Because when we get off the chair, right, and we are corrected, and we get back on this path that God has for us, he will grow us. And we are adequate, we are equipped, we have everything we need to do what God wants us to do. So, let me pray, and then I'll turn the time over. Father, thank you for your amazing goodness. We pray that your spirit would have his way we pray that you would uh, just be deeply pleased with us. We pray that we would give up control of that chair, that we would seek your best, that we would seek to glorify you, to bring you into view, that we would allow your spirit to reprove us, to correct us, to teach us, and to train us so that we can do the things and be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.